This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Frank Reddy. Hi, how's it going? Doing all right. How are you doing, Frank? Doing well. Doing well. Getting into this whole podcasting thing. I now exist online thanks to this. (laughs) You know, you're not really a person until you exist online. I think we need to come up with some kind of an alias for me to go under. You know, so my celebrity doesn't spill over into my civilian life. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, this is part two of episode number three of Cinema Fix, focusing on the movie uh, Moneyball. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Be aware of that. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general non-spoiler discussion. And the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of whatever film we're talking about that week, complete with spoilers. And it's designed to be listened to after you've seen the film or at the very least listen to part one of the show. We're not going to bother repeating a lot of the general stuff we said in the first part about the premise and who's in the movie and and things like that. So we're just going to assume that you've seen the film and if you don't want to be spoiled again, stop listening now and please go check out part 1 of our episode on Moneyball. Now, Moneyball is the new film directed by Ben and Miller and it stars Brad Pitt. If you listen to part 1 of our discussion, we already went over the plot and stuff like that. So We're just going to pick up where we left off and dive right into the discussion. But first, here's another clip from the movie. All right, you got a minute? Yeah. Take a seat. You can't start Pena first tonight. You'll have to start Hatterberg. I don't want to go 15 rounds, Billy. The lineup card is mine, and that's all. Okay, lineup card is definitely yours. I'm just saying you can't start paying it first. Well, I am starting him at first. I don't think so. He plays for Detroit now. You traded Pena? Okay, Frank. Now, in part one of our discussion on Moneyball, we concluded that you and I disagree a little bit. You seem to have really responded and connected to the film. Me... Not so much. Right. I've been thinking about it, and I think one of the main reasons I didn't connect with the film overall is that I didn't find Billy Bean to be a very intriguing character. Now, this is coming from a script co-written by Aaron Sorkin, who last did The Social Network. Yes, sir. Now, if you look at The Social Network, that movie has a very compelling, unique, interesting anti-hero as its protagonist. Right. Compare that to Moneyball, in which we have Billy Bean, who seems to be, on the whole, just your typical, average, pretty-looking guy. Yeah. Nothing really special about him. I was not able to connect with him. I mean, he's divorced. Mm-hmm. He he has a daughter, and uh, she likes to sing Juno-esque songs. Yeah. But I was sitting there, and I was thinking, okay, you're divorced... So you must have some problem that 
contributed to the fallout of your marriage. You must have something wrong with you, or at least some sort of flaw that makes you a human being, mm -hmm. that makes you an interesting three-dimensional person. And yet, if you watch the film, even though he's divorced, he seems to get along fairly well with his ex-wife. He and his daughter have a great relationship. He manages the team as best he can. I was just like, you know what, Billy Bean, do you have any problems as a person? Do you, do you have any flaws? Not really, and I'm not interested as a result, unfortunately. Really? I, I, um, well, I disagree. I would argue that for me, what made the character interesting, what made me kind of hook into him, is you know they did the flashbacks to when he was a young man and he had to choose between going to Princeton, I believe it was, or signing up with a major league team. And the scout basically says to him that he has a feeling about him, that they've never seen so many skills roped up into one player. And this is a guy at this point whose life could have gone, I think, two very different directions. I mean, I'm sure being the manager of a major league ball club is a pretty cool job. But, you know, if maybe if he'd made a different decision, if the scout hadn't been so persuasive, so adamant that his opinion was uh, right on the money, he could have gone to Princeton, I don't know, become, I don't know, like a lawyer, a hedge fund manager, whatever. He could have raked in a bunch of money. And for me, you know, it kind of raised the question of, and I, I think for him, you know, a lot of his motivation was... You know, the, these scouts act like they know, and the fact is is that they don't know. And for me, that's what was driving him, is this decision that he made as a man, young man to go into baseball and forfeit this other amazing opportunity to go to Princeton. And he flamed out really quick in Major League Baseball. The scout was absolutely wrong. I, I think that, that that did impact his life. Like, I, I got the sense from when there's a scene where he's driving in the car, and his wife, ex-wife calls to tell him how well she thinks he's doing with the team. And I almost got the impression from that phone call, don't ask me why, that perhaps part of the reason the marriage fell apart is because she didn't think he did quite well enough or because, I don't know, I got the impression that a big part of his life was not feeling like he's, he lived up to what he could have done. And to me, that's what made it interesting. I agree that that aspect of his character is definitely there. You can argue that it's it's driving a lot of his... That, 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 that that makes up most of his motivation for taking a chance with this whole uh, Moneyball mm -hmm. approach. And that's interesting. I agree. I just really didn't like how they presented it. That You know, occasionally the movie will be running along and then we'll just randomly get a uh, flashback to his life. Mm -hmm. And I just... Something about the way that that was structured just didn't really work for me. And again, I, I can appreciate the, the idea that Yes, that is part of his motivation, but at the end of the day, I didn't really feel like I could relate to him and get inside his mind as to why this winning and losing is so important to him. You know, he maybe is due to the fact that he did used to play baseball, and when you play baseball, getting to the World Series is, is you know, the ultimate goal, but there's that, there's that idea he seems to be clinging to that we have to win the final game or it doesn't matter and I wasn't sure if I could quite relate to that and th th to, to me the film didn't really seem to know what it wanted to say about sports if it wanted to say that sports is a really great thing or if it wanted to sort of subvert this whole industry and say well you know what if you look closely sports is actually just based around trading people 
like products. It's based around uh, this idea of winning the big game, which on the whole doesn't even matter. It's based around reputation, which can change at the flip of a dime based on commentators who will change their minds about you at the the slightest small thing happens, they'll, they'll turn on you. I just couldn't figure out on the whole what Aaron Sorkin was trying to say about Billy Bean and about the sports industry as a whole. You brought up the final scene yeah. in part one, and I think that you could argue that scene encapsulates the message of the film, but other than that final scene, it's I'm not really sure what the script was was trying to say. And I'm not so sure that the rest of the film backs up that final scene. But why don't you say what you wanted to say about, about that about that scene? Uh, you know, I just I thought it was really uh, I thought it was a, a nice small moment. I thought it was. You're, you're talking about the scene in the car when he's, he's driving along and he's plays the CD that his daughter made him. Right. And I just thought it was a really perfect scene, just in terms of summing up. You know what what I think was what, what the takeaway was supposed to be for his character, which was let it go. You know, I think his manager, his job is to go there and win ball games, and he—I think he got so wrapped up, you know, at, at the end with Jonah Hill when he's saying, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, they're, they're just going to dismiss what we've done here unless we win the game. You know, he's so caught up, I think, in trying to prove a point, you know, that that scouts don't know everything. That you know, I think he was driving himself crazy, and you know, at the very end. He has the choice whether or not to stay with the Oakland Athletics or go to the Boston Red Sox. And the guy at the Boston Red Sox basically says, you know, I believe in your philosophy. I will back you 110% if you come here. And And we'll make you the highest paid GM in baseball history. Basically, yeah. And uh, he chooses to stay with with Oakland, which symbolized to me that he'd let it go. He'd he'd let go trying to prove a point and was just going to play the game, which I, I think to me it was about him overcoming that element from his past. Well, right. The, uh, the the song that his daughter sings and that he listens to in that final scene, you know, the, the main thrust of the song is just sit back and enjoy the show. Yeah. Just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the game. Don't get so caught up in, in, in whether or not you win or lose. And I was thinking to myself, okay, that's a fine theory and that's a fine philosophy to have. But I'm not sure if I see that being communicated throughout the rest of the film, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure how if if mainstream audiences would uh, would agree with that for better or worse. And that that whole idea again of sports and that conflict between, well, do we rely on these scouts to go out and find new talent, or do we just look at the numbers? That to me, what was the central conflict of the film, and I never could figure out if the director and the writers were chose a side or if they were just like well both sides are wrong it just it didn't it wasn't really clearly communicated in my opinion you know yes it's all about billy bean and how he teams up with peter brand to focus on the computer analytics side of, of things and how that's really successful and how that takes this underdog team to, to you know into a record setting winning streak and yet, at the same time, I don't think it can be denied, as several characters bring up in the film, that there is a human factor to it mm-hmm. that you can't rely on uh, computers to, to, to tell you. And if you look at the end result, sure, they set all these records, but did they go to the World Series and win? No, they did not. In, in the end, you know, the, the relying on the uh, statistics was it, it didn't get them 
anywhere farther than relying on the scouts if you're looking at in terms of winning a championship right and uh, you know i think the problem i think the problem there is that i don't think you can like if you're going to sit down and write this say one way or the other which is the which is the right way to go well then then i think you need to to say that in the movie i think you need to more fully embrace both approaches and there were too many times in the film where i felt like it was siding so much with Billy Bean, it was ignoring this whole other aspect. It was ignoring the fact not only that he failed to win the championship, but what that says about Moneyball and what that says about his approach and what that says about the need to to to, to look at the more human, instinctual side of drafting. I think that in terms of focus, they'd settled on being as the main character and you know I, I think that they did a nice job in presenting a balance I mean you, you got the scouts you know he, had, he obviously has that head scout who walked out and quit who you know presented his argument as you know we have all these years of experience you can't just discount that um, and I think you had the baseball coach who was like this is ridiculous <laughs> well right you've got the, yeah. uh, the the assistant manager played by Philip Seymour Hoffman which is Interest, an interesting conflict that comes up in Act 2 of the film, and I felt like they just dropped that subplot off. They did, they never did anything with it. Like, you've got that little battle brewing for a while between Billy Bean and his assistant manager, and so you've got that great scene in which Billy Bean essentially trades yeah. the people he needs to trade in order to get what he wants done. Yeah. And you've got that great moment and it's like, all right, Billy, you really beat this guy who, who who was standing in your way. And yet they never go back to him. They never comment on the fact that this assistant manager is the one getting all the credit for these decisions. They're never commenting on the fact that the assistant manager ultimately turned out to be, you could argue, was, was wrong. Yeah. But you could also say he was right because, again, they never, they didn't win the championship. And that that conflict between those two characters just kind of disappeared. And I was like, well, come on. I, I want more than two characters in this movie. Because that's really all there are if you think about it. There's mm-hmm. there's Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean. There's Jonah Hill play, playing Peter Brand. And that's pretty much it <laughs> when it comes to, to like two- to three-dimensional characters. You know, I just, I found what they were doing so compelling, I, I just, I didn't care. Like, I, I don't feel the need to have everything kind of wrapped up at the end in a bow. I think there was so much going on that, you know, I hate it when movies just stop and say, all right, well, we have to resolve this. We have to have that quick little scene where they're like, okay, well, you were right, I was wrong, or I was wrong, you were right. And, uh, you know, to me, it, it just felt more realistic. It felt more lifelike, and it didn't hit the beats. I mean, I think maybe one of the reasons it's a little disorienting is because it doesn't hit the beats that I think we're used to in a movie, just in terms of what we expect, what's commonly built into structure. You and I talked about Drive last week. Well, Drive was very clever. Drive relied a lot on that structure. That's why they were able to get away with not showing us certain things, because we, as moviegoers, are you know, we have that structure so ingrained into our heads. It's, you know, I don't need to see that scene. I know why he's doing what he's doing. But I think here they kind of played a little bit faster and looser with the structure. And, you know, it's a little disorienting at first. Oh, see, I disagree entirely. I think that even though Drive relied on some 
pretty traditional archetypes. I was never quite sure where that movie was going, whereas for most of Moneyball, I felt like it was following the traditional, stereotypical sports movie structure just down to a T. I mean, it starts out, of course, you've got your underdog team led by your underdog manager who's going to try something new to shake things up. And then, of course, it's not going to work out for a while and everyone's going to say, well, you know, you see, you're terrible and you can't do it. And then what do you know? The team's going to start winning and they're going to have a montage of all the wins that the team is, is uh, lining up in their streak because this, they're, they're working and, 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 and this is just so great. And then it's going to come down to the big final moment when you're like, well, was it worthwhile? Will they pull it through? And at this point in a traditional sports film, there are three possible outcomes. One, they win, which is what happens most of the time. Two, they don't win, but they still learn to value themselves and come away feeling like they really accomplished something important. And this movie fell pretty snugly into the latter that idea that okay we lost when it comes to the world series but we did set a record winning streak and we did change the game of baseball good for us i, I think he has no idea that he's changed the game of baseball like i well, well he doesn't but know. we know and uh jonah hill knows and peter brand knows and the fact that he doesn't you know, again, maybe it's because I'm so apathetic about sports, but when they had that scene after they've set the winning streak and, and, and they've set the record and uh, Billy Bean and Peter Brand are talking and, and, and Billy Bean is just like, well, what's the point? I felt like, you're right, Billy Bean. What is the point in the grand scheme of things? So you won 20 games of baseball in a row. Big deal. You didn't win a championship. Everyone's on the whole is going to forget about you and Years later, they're going to have to make a movie starring Brad Pitt to remind people that aren't into sports what went down. So what was the point? I mean, again, maybe it's because I'm so apathetic towards sports, but I was just kind of like, uh, again, I, I didn't connect. I was like, okay, this was kind of pointless. Not as, a, not as an event as much, but, but as a movie. I was just kind of like, what was the point? What, what can I get out of this film that I can't? get out of watching a documentary about the Oakland A's or reading uh, uh, Wikipedia and, and figuring out what happened that way. I don't know. I just don't think the movie did anything really fresh or exciting. And I understand that when you're working with true life stories, that can be a bit difficult to handle. But I just don't think the movie succeeded much on the whole, especially compared to something like, uh, like The Social Network last year, which I would argue isn't very accurate mm-hmm. at all, but is a much more engaging film as a result. Mm-hmm. I think Moneyball probably on the whole is a bit more accurate, perhaps, with how it depicts certain characters. But as a result, I was just kind of like, eh, that's not that interesting. I don't know. Just me. That's fair. I mean, it, you know, maybe it's not. It's may not be for everybody. But I would argue that there's value there to begin, sports fan or not, you know, to get that behind the scenes look at what, what goes into arranging something like that and trying to. I think that's what makes it universal beyond a sports movie is that idea of trying to change the system and trying to weigh your impact in the world and the road not taking all that connected with me. And you know, I know Jack about sports pretty much. So, I mean, if you want to go to the movie, maybe you'll connect to it. If maybe you're more like Andrew, maybe. 
it'll fly over your head. But but so so, so that idea that of I guess one man versus the system, that's an idea that pops up constantly throughout cinema. Oh yeah, and yet this film, the ultimate. You know, as you mentioned, the the final scene, the ultimate message I guess we're supposed to take away from it is, well, you know, just don't worry about it. Just just sit back and enjoy the show. And now that I think about it, that seems really pessimistic to me. You think so? It does. Almost like, you know, you can try to change things. You can try to stand up to the man. You can try to to make things better. But in the end, you're not going to succeed in every way you want. So you should just, what you know what, just don't worry about it. And just uh, just enjoy the ride. And I'm trying. And I'm thinking to myself now. Well, if you applied that philosophy to other areas of life, <laughs> you know, we could get ourselves into some pretty uh, sticky situations. You know, I think you know. To me, it, it was more. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And it, in the larger sense, you can't live your whole life trying to prove a point. And I, I think it, it more spoke to me about he was doing it for very personal reasons. And at the end of the day, he, he kind of has to let that go. Like, he can't harp on the what would have been had maybe this been ba- around back when I was a kid. You know, the, he has to let that go and kind of move on with his life. Let me ask you uh, one final question um, now that I, I think of it. Um, did you think that there was any political subtext going on in the film? Because especially in the first half, I got the impression that Sorkin and Zalian were trying to draw a clear parallel between the forces affecting baseball and the current economic situation in the sense that you've got these teams that have millions of dollars upon millions of dollars at their disposal and then you've got the Oakland A's who really don't have much to work with and how that economic inequality affects things and why Billy Bean gets in so much trouble isn't just because he's trying to change the system, it's because he's trying to fight the money in to, in, to some extent. He's trying to fight a system in which the, the teams with the most money have the most resources to go on and win, and you cannot, doesn't matter if you're a great player, if you're with one of these teams, you'll still get paid a bunch of money and you'll still become the superstar. Uh, I, would, I hadn't thought of that before. I think that's a valid way to look at it. You know, I kind of found a lot of that funny because, you know, basically what they were saying is, I mean, I, I looked at it as kind of a reflection of Hollywood in, in a weird way. That's the first thing that struck me is, you know, you brought up the players and, and basically one of the things I think Peter Brandt says in the movie is that some of these guys are extremely overvalued as were there are other guys who are equally talented be, because they're a little bit more quirky. Um, I don't want to say defective because they're a little bit more quirky people kind of overlook that um and i mean you could say the same thing about all these values we assign that these athletes are ridiculous they're they're based on speculation and subjective evaluations uh, we you'd say we did the same thing with movie stars i mean there are some very very good actors out there i think who just haven't broke you know who i mean brian cranston's a great actor and he's not making george clooney or brad pitt money i don't think he's any less talented though I would say he's at their level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And even in terms of, you know, you have big budget movies, you have small budget movies and Well, right. I mean, just, I mean, when you when you think about Hollywood and how again, it, it is kind of I I can see where you're coming from because it is a similar situation in which 
you have these studios or you, billions of dollars. You've got these actors that will get paid $10, $20 million just to, to be in a movie. Whether or not they're actually talented, it's more of a celebrity thing right. as opposed to a talent thing. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, of the fact that Chris Tucker got paid $25 million to be in Rush Hour 3, yeah. which made him at that time, I think, the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And no disrespect to Chris Tucker, he has his shtick that he does, and he does it well, but he's no Brian Cranston. No, he's not. Who you brought up earlier. And that theme of, I guess, the, the haves versus the have-nots, the rich versus the, uh, you could say, the poor and the middle class baseball teams. That was an interesting idea that I think the film brought up, but again, never really fully developed and never really went back to. I felt like the movie was bringing up a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of interesting themes, but it never really fleshed any of them out. I would get glimpses of them and be like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let, let, let's focus on that. And then it, we, it just would go back into traditional sports movie mode. Like, oh, we have to have the montage of all the winning now. Oh, we have to have the, the big game moment. And I don't know about you, Frank, but the film doesn't show baseball, the actual games for most of the film. And then when you finally have that big game at the end, it felt really out of place to me. And I was kind of bored. I mean, it, it worked for me. Um, I didn't really necessarily want to sit through a movie where I saw a lot of baseball games and then... The one they put in, I think, was the most important one. So it worked for me. I think it's just, for whatever reason, I connected with it and, and you didn't, which is fine. Uh, I get that sometimes that just happens. There are certain yeah. movies that you'll see and that they just don't click for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? Uh, but I'm, I'm glad it clicked for you. Out of curiosity, have you seen the film The Damned United? I've not seen The Damned United. You need to see The Damned United. Okay. Uh, and all of our listeners... You need to see The Damned United as well. I would be really curious to get your thoughts on that film, comparing it to Moneyball. That is a uh, British film that came out last year, or two years ago, starring Michael Sheen about a uh, soccer manager. And I thought that The Damned United, personally, was a much more successful film than Moneyball. And I felt a lot more of a uh, connection to, to the people and the situations in The Damned United. But again, I'm not quite sure why that is. I'd have to go back and watch both films and try to really analyze why I was responding to certain things the way I was. But you should watch that film and, and let me know what you think. Report back to us on the show, Frank. I will report back to us, yes. All right, well, do you, do you have anything else you want to say about Moneyball before we wrap things up? No, I think I've rambled on long enough. Okay, all right. Well, the movie is Moneyball. Frank, you loved it. I did not quite as much, but that's okay. So that'll wrap it up for part two of the Cinema Fix episode on Moneyball. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing the film 50-50. Frank, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that film and, and, and what makes that film worth talking about? Sure, I'd be glad to, Andrew. Well, that film, 50-50, is about a young man in his 20s who is diagnosed with cancer. And the interesting thing about it is that it stars Seth Rogen is one of the stars and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the young man who receives the cancer diagnosis and the interesting thing about that is it looks like they're going for laughs in a cancer movie so it'll be interesting to see if we can all sit through that movie and laugh right. without feeling incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> that should be interesting 
Well, I, I look forward to discussing that film with you. That will wrap it up for this episode of the show. We'd love to get your feedback. Uh, if you're listening, you can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. We really love to hear back from you. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show through iTunes now, so be sure to do that. You can also subscribe to the other shows on Film Geek Radio, including uh, Let's Get Real and The Thin Place, which is our new show that just premiered last week. Be sure to check that out. If you liked this episode, please uh, write us a review on iTunes. That would really help get the word out about the show. You can also donate to the network through the website. You have no idea how much we appreciate your support. We really do rely on on you guys to keep the show going, to keep the network functioning, uh, to keep paying our bills every month. And we, we really do appreciate it. You have no idea. Frank, where can people find you on the internet. In about a week, I'll have a blog. I don't. I don't know what it's titled yet. Probably be focusing on television, a little bit of movies. You should. You should call it. Let me be frank. <laughs> See, I'm adverse to. You people can back me up on this. I'm averse to puns on names because I grew up with the name Frank Reddy. So, as you can imagine, quite a bit of puns. That and I got a lot of tall jokes, but. I, I just I feel like if I if I play into it, it's just perpetuating an ugly, <laughs> ugly tradition. Uh, it just I'd feel shamed. So, <laughs> all right. Well, do you have a Twitter account? Where can people find you? Yeah, my handle is fj ready r e a d y. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Andrew said he'd be happy to take any messages you might want to pass along. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like my secretary in a way. So. Go with that. I, I can tell you're super active on Twitter, Frank. <laughs> the, the first time I was on Twitter was Thursday. That was the first time in about two months. So you got to you got to get on Twitter, Frank. No, it's you a know, valuable tool. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Frank just went to get a sandwich. <laughs> Frank is thinking about going to the grocery store later. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.thecoolestshineffect.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener so I can follow you back and we can keep talking about the movies. As always, I want to give a big shout-out to Greg Harbin for editing the show. If you're a Star Trek junkie, you can find him online by listening to the Ready Room podcast over at trek.fm. Be sure to check that out. We love you, Greg. Keep doing what you do. Say, say that you love Greg, Frank. I haven't met Greg, but I'm sure that if... I met him. We'd hit it off. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. And by default, that makes me Frank Reddy. Have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.